Matthew chapter 5. And let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, your name is victory. It is in your name that we have gathered. It is only in your name that we have hope. And Lord, I pray that you would grant every one of us in this room firm hope and conviction in you and you alone. Would you keep us from trusting in anything else? If we are, would you expose it? And would you give us, uh, Lord, the, the heart to move our affections completely on you and our hope completely in you? And Lord, I pray that as we celebrate you this Christmas, that the, the praising of you and the celebration would truly be genuine. Lord, let us love you more deeply. Let us worship you and you alone. And Lord Jesus, if anything is blocking our spiritual vision from seeing your glory, then I pray that even this morning you just pull back the veil. Open up the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the glory of God in your face, Lord Jesus. Help us now. We have worshiped you in song. We want to continue to worship you, Lord Jesus, in word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture text is found at the beginning of chapter 5 in Matthew. We'll look at verse 8. We are in the middle of a sermon series making our way through Matthew, and we're uh, in the Beatitudes as they have been come to known, and we're just going to look at one today, which is verse 8, which says this, Blessed or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed is the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we're just going to think about that this morning. I, one of the things that is sort of astounding to me is you, you see where this is going. Jesus is the one speaking this message. He's seated on a hillside, grassy plain to his disciples. He's speaking to them and he says this. And I just wonder as he said it, was there a pause? Did he wait and let us hear uh, the words that he spoke and let them sink in? Because he's pointing us to God. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. And one of the things that I'm convinced of is that we were created to gaze at glory. We were built to behold beauty. We were crafted in such a way to marvel at majestic things. And we find ourselves drawn to the fiercest and the finest. And all around the world, we will travel in order to see the biggest and the best. Right? The biggest event right now happening is the FIFA World Cup. All eyes in the world are on it. Uh, three million tickets have been sold for people to visit on site and travel uh, to those eight stadiums and watch 32 nations kick a ball around. And you know how many people are watching from home? One billion people are estimated to be watching from home. We were made to see big things. And we were created to gaze at glory. And I wonder how many of you have caught yourselves creeping out the window, staring at that full moon the last couple of nights. Have you found yourself, you get out of the car and you, you stare at the moon. I, I'm reminded of a time my dad and I were driving cross country and we found ourselves in the middle of the darkest Montana woods and stopped for the evening got out to stretch our legs, and it was the first time in my life there was this radiant 
kind of glow across the sky, very muted, but this, this obvious glow. And I looked up for the first time in my life, I saw the Milky Way with my own eyes. I'd never seen that in my life until we were in pitch black darkness. And then suddenly all across the sky is this incredible, what? I knew what it was as soon as I saw it. I've seen it in the planetarium. I've heard stories about it. I've read about it. We studied it and yet never seen it with my own eyes. And then suddenly there it was. It was absolutely glorious. And we were meant to see glorious things. We are meant to stand at an amazement and marvel at magnificent things, whether they be high or low. And how many of you have traveled across this country to look at the deepest cut in the earth's crust, the Grand Canyon. Many of you, you've been there. This, this, you stand and, and you get to the edge of it and you stand in amazement at this mile deep, 18 mile wide, 277 mile crack in the crust of the earth. And, and it's marvelous. It's absolutely incredible. Five million people every year travel to look at a hole in the ground. Right? A billion people travel and, 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 and sit at home and watch the most incredible sporting event. Some will argue it's, it's American football. It's okay. We can, we can all argue about that. But we're, what, what am I saying? I think we're created for wonderful things. We're, we're drawn to magnificence. And, and the fact is that there is no one or no thing any more magnificent than God Almighty who created this entire world, who spread the Milky Way, and who cut and oversaw the, the Grand Canyon. There's no greater glory in all of the world than beholding the God who created this world. And yet, are a billion people seeking Him on TV today? Are we going out of our way to see the face of God? Is that the occupation of our hearts and minds? Are you yearning to see the face of God? Because that's what Jesus is talking about today. The pure in heart will see him. They will see the miraculous wonder of the glory of God. Because we used to see it. We were created to see and behold the face of God. We had that privilege once upon a time. And yet, if you go back to the beginning of this book, you'll discover Adam and Eve walking with God in the communion of the Garden of Eden in that sweet fellowship. That wonderful verse that says, He walked with them in the cool of the day. I would love to go for a walk with God in the cool of a day. And yet, we once enjoyed that kind of intimate, face-to-face -face fellowship. Humanity was able to look God in the face and see Him. And we were made for that. Face-to-face -face worship with our Creator is how we were constructed. So every time you yearn for something great, you seek something magnificent, it's a little echo of that hardwired desire within us to see God. Those are little cracked and broken reflections. When we, we, we joke around, I was talking to my son the other day, 88,000 people in one stadium watching some dudes kick around the ball. That's a worship service. It's exactly what that is. When we gather and celebrate together, that, that's worship service. We were created for it, and it finds broken forms throughout this world. And yet, Jesus says, the pure in heart will see God. 
That's what you were wired to do. Every one of you, every person on this planet, hardwired to enjoy worshiping God face to face. And yet, we don't. Something is broken within us. Something bad has gone wrong to turn our eyes away from a great and glorious God in order to look at much, much lesser things. Right, we, we discovered that problem in the beginning of the book, too. When we turned as a, as a people, humanity turns away from the glory of God in order to seek our own. Something terrible happened. Something blurred our vision. We have spiritual cataracts, as it were. And there suddenly, because of some black thing, our vision of the greatness and the glory of God is now obscured. Covered over. And what is it? What keeps us from enjoying the glory of God? What keeps us from pursuing Him is sin. Sin has entered that world and cracked and broken that intimate fellowship and that relationship for which we were created. And Isaiah says it best. Isaiah 59 too, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. We were created to enjoy face-to-face communion with God. And sin has come in, and now there is a separation from us. And we can no longer see God face-to-face. We can no longer look at Him with undimmed glory. We can no longer stand in His presence because of our sin. And yet, God was not content to leave us in that place of separation and isolation. He sent Jesus to fix that problem. He sent Jesus to redeem that that vision and that intimacy. That's why Jesus came. We just sang about it. He was born to give us second birth, born to bring us back into the presence of the Lord. So God will fix this problem. There's one thing amazing about this verse. The pure in heart might see God. Is that what that verse says? The pure in heart is a high probability of seeing God. Is that what Jesus said? The pure in heart, what? Shall see God. It will happen. It is certain. One day we will stand before the presence of the Lord. How's that going to happen? We get a little picture at the end of the book, Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4. There will come a day when God renews his kingdom. And in that day, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, this renewed kingdom, and His servants will worship Him and what? They will see His face. Those pure in heart, those members of the kingdom, those who are are born again into the kingdom of heaven will see God face to face. We will see Him in, in, in the fullness of the beautiful radiance of His glory. I... Wish it was today. I don't know about you. I'd be happy if it was right now. And yet, we're not there yet. But that is why Jesus has come. And so he comes teaching his disciples, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My question is, do you want, you want that? You want that vision? Is that where your attitude of your soul is focused? Because the pure in heart shall see him. So we have, we have seen the progression of this Sermon on the Mount. And now we move here. Right? We began with the poor in spirit. 
We have no righteousness of our own. The people of the kingdom know they have no righteousness of their own. And so they they then come to the Lord Jesus. They mourn their sin. Blessed are those who mourn. What do they mourn? They mourn the sin that they have and they yearn for, for what they don't have. So they humbly come. Blessed are the meek. They humbly come to the Lord and they yearn for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. They will be filled Right, God is merciful to those who come yearning for his righteousness. He satisfies them. He gives mercy to those who come to him. Those people who have received the mercy of God are then merciful to those around us. So there's a progression to this sermon that Jesus is preaching. It's not just haphazard. So blessed are the merciful. And then now we come, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. So a couple of observations about this, this little short sentence. Jesus is concerned about the heart. We, we see this again and again in his preaching and his teaching. He is concerned about the heart. It is a, a dominant topic because the Pharisees of the day, the other religious teachers, were not talking about the heart. They were not talking about internal things. They were talking about external things. And Jesus comes saying, we need to go inward. We need, we need to take you in to examine what is happening within you. Because he says this, Matthew 23, to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs who outwardly appear beautiful. But within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So outwardly you appear righteous to others. But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is concerned about the heart. And... I'm, I'm, don't we, we can look really good outside, can't we? Dress up, we look nice, we can put a smile on our face, and yet what's happening inwardly, right? We, we humans, we just, we so easily get distracted by everything outward and external, and yet God looks on the heart. In fact, that's what God said to Samuel when, he, when Samuel was thinking, we're going to choose a new king. He saw David's brothers, and all of them were handsome and good-looking and tall. And he thought, ah, those are the guys. Yeah, nice, good-looking people. And yet God said to Samuel, don't pay attention to the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. He is concerned with us. So what, this is what Jesus is concerned about. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So heart. Question, what is heart? The Greek word is cardia here. We recognize it in the word cardiac, right? It means the muscle that pumps the blood through our bodies. And yet, that's not what Jesus is talking about. I mean, he's concerned. Do you have a nice, strong, heart, blood-pumping muscle? He's not unconcerned. But when the biblical usage of this phrase is given, it, it includes the whole personality, it is both the seat and the source of the, of the inner structure of your soul. When we talk about the heart, the Bible's talking about the essence or the core, the bottom of who you are, deep within you, including your mind, what you think, your will, your desires, your emotions, your, your responses, all of that is included in the heart. So the heart is the source and the center of personality. And that's exactly where Jesus goes to. That is exactly the call of the Old Testament when, when we are called to love the Lord. And Jesus repeats this from the heart. Mark 12, 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And what does he mean? He means all of you. 
Every bit of you, right? With all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, every fiber in your being, we are called to love God above everything else. And that is exactly what Jesus is pointing to. The purity that God desires is to be in the depths of our soul, to stand before a holy God. And so that's Jesus is, is describing. He's talking about the, the inhabitants of the kingdom. The, those who enter the kingdom of heaven are those who have purity at the very bottom of their being. But in mentioning the heart, Jesus not only is talking about the whole of us, but he also illustrates that's the very focus of our problem. The heart of humanity is flawed. We are sinful at our very core. And so the Bible repeats this again and again, saying that it, it, it is from the heart where we begin to go wrong. Right? Hebrews 3.10 says this, God's saying about the children of Israel, they always go astray from the heart or in their hearts. It's in the heart where the problem begins. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Right? There's a desperate sickness called sin, which resides in every human heart. No one is immune from this sickness. And the Bible again and again repeats, all of us have sinned. Proverbs 29 says, who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? The answer that is expected is no one. No one is righteous before God. Paul quotes about 10 Bible verses from the Old Testament in Romans chapter 3 to prove this point. So the whole teaching of Scripture is not you're basically good. It is you are basically wicked to the core. And that's not what you hear today, right? We don't live in a world that says, I mean, every parent, my kid is good. He's a good kid. Really? I mean, any parent who spends about seven minutes with their kid knows that's not true. <laughs> and yet, uh, what does the Bible tell us? We need help down to the depths of our hearts. We need to be transformed at the heart. That's everybody. Nobody misses this. It's not some people are good, some people are bad, some people are, are, really have a good heart. When we compare ourselves to ourselves... That statement can sound very true and factual because we can do a lot of good stuff, right? You can rake your neighbor's leaves and you can, you can get the snowblower out and help your neighbor. You can, you know, buy your coworkers a, a cup of coffee. You can do lots of good things. You can give, you can give some money out on the way to the, to the train, to the, to the homeless guy. You can do some good things. But there's, when God talks about goodness, he means righteousness to the core of your being and nobody qualifies for that. Nobody on the planet. So... Jesus says the pure in heart are the ones who see God. And we then are left in a very desperate situation. And isn't it interesting, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. He does not say blessed are those who are pure in the head or in the hands. He says the heart. He goes down to the bottom of everything. All of our will, all of our mind, all of our emotions. Why? Because every action, every thought, every word flows out of the heart. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And these are what defile a person. He covers... Look... Uh, 
out of the heart flows what? Thoughts, mind, everything you think flows out of the heart. That's a sinful, right? Murder, adultery, sinful actions. And then he concludes with false witness or lying and slander. All thoughts, sinful thoughts come from sinful hearts. Actions, sinful actions flow from a sinful heart. Words, sinful words flow from sinful hearts. Our problem is at the bottom of our being. So if the problem is, is our hearts, then what is the solution? And the answer is, you need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. Every human being needs a new heart. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. The new covenant that we see in the Old Testament, for example, uh, Ezekiel 36 and other places, the new covenant comes in order to give us a new heart. So Jesus in his mind, he's got scripture. When he's preaching this, the pure in heart are the ones who see, will see God. Again, we've seen this over and over. Jesus is not making this stuff up. He's quoting Old Testament scripture. And he's quoting, in this case, Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. So this, this little succinct statement is Jesus' summary, Psalm 24, which says this. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a what? A pure heart. Who's going to stand in the presence of God? The one who has a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He, does, he will receive blessing from the Lord, his righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So here's purity. He's telling us, he's taking us to purity. What is purity? Purity is both cleanness as well as not being divided in Scripture. Clean from defilement, but also singular, or one, undivided, undiluted. And we see that here. Clean hands, pure heart, results in undivided worship. Right? He does not lift his soul up to what is false. Meaning, there's no divided worship. There's no divided loyalty in the heart. A pure heart worships one God, the one true and living God. So that singular focus of devotion in the heart, undivided worship, and, and clean hands, pure and holy. Holy heart will yield clean hands. That's why Jesus takes us to the heart. And he goes right to the issue and says, the purity that is required in order to stand in front of the presence of the Lord is that purity that comes from the bottom of our being. And so here, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and swear deceitfully. There's no false words. There's no divided words. He's not saying one thing and doing another. This is a person who says what he means. And we also see in this psalm, righteousness comes from God. Blessed is the one who, who God gives righteousness. Do you see that? Blessed is the one who God will give righteousness. So when God says, in order to come into my presence, you must be righteous, he then provides that very righteousness. He himself gives the righteousness that he requires in order for us to enter into his presence. God is that kind of God. And that's why Jesus came. None of us could do it. None of us were able to achieve our own righteousness. We have all failed, every one of us, and gone our own way. And so God sent someone who would achieve that righteousness perfectly. And that's why Jesus came. And this is the promise rooted in the Old Covenant. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a what? A new heart. 
I will give you a new heart. You need a new heart in order to come into the presence of God Almighty. And God says, you haven't got it on your own, so I'll give you one. That's the promise of the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, meaning I will transform you from the inside out. And I will, give, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a tender heart toward the Lord. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to do, obey my rules. God is the one who initiates salvation, not you, not me. He sent Jesus to accomplish what we could not do. Complete righteousness. That's what's required. Perfect purity is what God demands. And we all know none of us have it, right? Every one of us know how far from that standard we have fallen. And yet that's what's required. And so where's our hope? (laughs) It's happy birthday, Jesus. That is why you ought to be, Christmas ought to be the most joyful time of the year because it is a constant reminder, perfect righteousness has been given to us. Complete and perfect righteousness in Christ has come to those who will put their faith in Him. And and that's what is necessary for no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, holiness is what we need. It's not optional. And so Jesus came in order to achieve the new covenant. And do you remember, we celebrated communion last week, last Sunday, and we say it every time. We we hold up the cup of wine and repeat Jesus' words, and Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do you remember that? We say, that new covenant, the new heart that I will give you, Jesus said, this cup of my blood is the new covenant. That's what he came to effect And we know he was successful because he was resurrected. We know sin was paid for because Jesus rose from the dead. So the coming of Christ is a constant reminder. Perfect righteousness is in Jesus and Jesus alone because Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father so that the Holy Spirit could be poured out within us. I'll put my new spirit within you. That's the gift of the new covenant. It's not merely having your sins covered. It is that, but it is also the infusion of the Holy Spirit into your heart. And it's both. That's the blessings of the new covenant. That's what Jesus came to accomplish, and it happens by faith. Acts 15, 9 says this. God, this is Peter speaking. God made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by what? By faith. The cleansing of the heart comes by faith. And I just say praise the Lord for that. It's not by head. That's not cleansing of the heart coming by education, right? Pure in head is not what God requires. Yes, we need to think right, but we don't achieve righteousness by thinking or by educating. Nobody's going to think themselves into heaven. We're not going to reform our behavior to be truly good and godly by being more educated. Sin is not going to be removed from this world by increased education. It will come by faith alone in the Lord Jesus. And it's not pure in hands, although yes, we ought to have pure hands. That's not how the the righteousness of Christ comes. Meaning, you don't work your way into heaven. You can't do enough in order to achieve that righteousness. That righteousness comes by faith. We see that again and again in Scripture. And so, what we then 
have, have discovered this morning is that God is the big, one who begins this transformation of the new heart by faith. A, a pure heart begins by faith in Jesus and what he has accomplished by receiving the Holy Spirit. And, and then that's the new birth. That's, Jesus came to give us new birth or second birth. We sang it. Glory to God in the highest for this reason. That regeneration, that transformation is the beginning of salvation. And then we are called to get on board with that and to begin to put away things in our lives and to put away sin in our life. So God begins this holy, purifying work in our hearts and then we are called to cooperate with Him. And holiness is necessary for salvation. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God starts the work of holiness by faith. And then we are to cooperate and continue that holy work by striving for this holiness, by reaching out for it, by letting go everything that hinders and weighs us down and keeps us from the Lord. We're to let go of those things and then reach out for holiness because he who has nothing of holiness will have nothing in heaven. If, if we are not in love with holiness, we will not be going to heaven. You can't love sin and salvation all at the same time. You need to make up your mind. That's the prophets again and again say, why are you halting back and forth between two different opinions? Make up your mind. If God is God, serve him. If, if Satan is God, then serve him. Be all in. And that's part of the call this morning. Don't cling to sin. Let go of it. Pursue holiness. Because without it, you won't see the face of God. So what do we do? James has wonderful instruction. James 4.8 says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Isn't that amazing? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you know, when you're tempted, where do you want to be? If you're like me, it's like anywhere but next to God, right? And yet, when is our greatest need? It is in moments when we're struggling with sin, when we're tempting, we're being tempted. A researcher, a Christian researcher a few years ago, did a, a little quiz on, and asked Christians who, about what happens when you're tempted. And, and he figured out, you got about 30 seconds to make up your mind if you're going to run to the Lord or, or just go all in with sin. You had about 30 seconds to make up your mind. In those, in those moments when we are being tempted, we need to run to the Lord. Go to Him. Draw near to Him. He'll draw near to you. And the enemy will tell you, he's, not, he's too busy for you. He, he's got a lot of stuff on his mind running the universe. You know, don't go to Him. He won't answer your prayer. And yet, go to the Lord. Draw near to Him. He will draw near to you. And look at the last part. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, double-minded. There's that single-minded devotion. There are some things we can do to foster holiness in our lives, right? Holiness, purity in our lives begins by faith in the work of Christ and the reception of the Holy Spirit. But then we're called to put stuff off and to let go of sin and to stay away from the things that lead us into sin and to not watch certain things and to not go certain places and to avoid certain people. 
right? We, we have a responsibility in our own walk of holiness. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You want to see the face of God? Purity of heart. And I wonder, is that what you yearn for? Seeing the face of God. How many of you contemplate, I just want to behold him. Right? This was Moses's. the one thing he pleaded for was to see the glory of God. Do you remember that? Back in Exodus 33, God, show me your glory. He said, please, please show me your glory. He wanted to see the face of God. Is that our devotion? Is that our hope? Do you know you'll get there? Right? With the work of Christ, with the help of Jesus, we will stand before him and we will see the face of God. And that certain hope is a means by which we let go of lesser things. Here's what what John says, 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him. We shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes purifies himself as he is pure. Meaning, if you hold the glory of God before you, if that's the focus of your soul and the attention of your heart, you will not be satisfied with sinful things. Keep the glory of God before you and you'll let go of the trash of this world. You'll begin to let go of the sin in your life, the habits. If you hold the glory of God, the pure, perfect, wonderful, beautiful, marvelous, glorious brightness of God before the eyes of your heart, you'll let go of stuff. You'll let go of things that pull you away and you will keep your mind focused on him because he who thus hopes purifies himself of sin. So, what do we do? How do we respond? I think if you're not a believer this morning, the, the appropriate response would be to pray and ask the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins and to give you that transformed heart. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a changed heart. Give me the Holy Spirit. Help me to receive the Holy Spirit. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. That, that's if you're not a believer. Pray for the reception of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of your sins, repent of your sins, and turn wholeheartedly to the Lord. But if you are a believer, what should you do? I think you know. You know you need to let go of things. You need to know there's, there's some sin in your life that you're still clinging to you need to let go of. You need to put away. You need to cleanse your hands. Get out the spiritual sanitizer. We all know what that is, right? And, and let go of sin. Stop playing and cling wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus. Turn away from your sins. Confess your sins. And if you confess your sins, what does the Bible say? He is faithful and just not only to forgive you, but to what? Cleanse you. Anybody need cleansing? Christian, you need cleansing from sinful things? Today's the day. Today's the day. God hears the prayer of his children who cry out for cleansing. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I just want to conclude with a a, a question of, can we see him now? Or is this only future oriented? Is Is this 
We shall see him. Does that mean at the last day when we stand before God and uh, all of the world has come to an end? Is that what we're talking about? And one of the unique things about Jesus is he talks about the, the kingdom has come. It's the kingdom has come among you. When the king has come, so has come the kingdom. It hasn't come in its fullness. And so there are aspects of the kingdom yet to come. But can we see the kingdom now? I think the answer is yes. Because when Jesus manifested the power of the kingdom, do you remember what the people said? God has visited us. He's here. He's with us. And a few weeks ago, I invited you to pray that the kingdom would come among us here at Hope. And I think there are some things that are happening that God is answering that prayer. And so how can you see, how can we see God today? I think the first, the first way we see God is by keeping our eyes on Jesus, right? Jesus said some amazing things. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, right? If you know me, you know the Father. So there is a sense in which to a degree we can see God in so far as we see Jesus clearly. So you keep your eyes on Jesus, you are seeing aspects of God's character. And we see God in Scripture because we don't know Jesus rightly apart from Scripture. How do we know who Jesus really is? Is by Scripture. He's been revealed in Scripture. God has revealed Himself through Scripture. So if you want to see God, get into God's Word. Be a people of the book. Read scripture because, as Hebrews 1 says, long ago and at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And we know his son as we see him revealed in scripture. So we can see God in scripture. And then lastly, I think we can see him if we seek him. We can see God among us if we seek Him. And, and I say some of you are doing that. I, I've gotten notes from you of, from when I invited us to pray that the kingdom of God would come among us. I've been getting emails and text messages. I just want to share a couple because I think God is doing some things. Three weeks ago, I received this. Three examples I'll just share with you. This person writes... I received a spiritual healing during your prayer at the end of the sermon. I had been in a spiritual rut for years, had lost my zeal from the Lord, and I'd stopped reading the Bible. But in your prayer, I felt the Lord touch me and brighten my countenance, and it was as if he had anointed me with fullness of joy. And now I am reading the Bible every day, and I have not felt this way in 12 years. That is a small paragraph from a long story that you might get to hear about later. But God's doing something. That was three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I got this. Someone came to me after the service in tears and and eked out between sobs. God is at work in me. And given the tears, I didn't actually quite know the nature of that work. And so I I waited and and this person said, it is good, but it is hard. God is at work in me. And then this past week, I received another message. uh, Said this, the message on mercy was amazing. God was speaking uh, through you to me. And as a result, as soon as the service was over, I immediately reached out with an apology to someone with whom I needed to reconcile. I think God is at work among his people. And he is purifying his people. 
And sometimes that comes with tears. Sometimes that comes with pain. But folks, we need to fight for holiness. We need to fight for holiness. We need to fight for purity. Because blessed are the pure in heart. Because you're going to get to see God. You will see him in measured degrees now and in undimmed glory one day when you stand before him. Let nothing keep you from pursuing him with all of your heart. Nothing. So let's pray together. I just want us to be quiet. I don't want the band to come up just yet. Just sit quietly for just a moment. And let's just turn our hearts to the Lord. And Jesus, I pray, if there are those hearing my voice who have never surrendered their lives completely to you, let it be right now. If there are those who have never asked for forgiveness of sins and asked for the reception of your Holy Spirit and pleaded to you for a transformed heart, let it be right now. And you can just pray in the quietness of your own heart. If that's you, just just talk to the Lord. He can hear you. You don't have to say a word. Just pray in your, your soul to him. And Lord Jesus, I also pray for those of us who know you and have been walking with you. Would you give us the desire to let go of the things that hinder and weigh us down? May we wholeheartedly pursue purity. And may we let go of everything that would stand in the way. Lord, may we, may we have no shame, no guilt. And Jesus, you, you offer complete forgiveness, complete restoration to those of us who would come to you. You said, if you come to me, I will never cast you out. And Lord Jesus, we, we come. We come on our, our knees and ask, would you change us? Would you change our hearts evermore? Lord, give new hearts to those who need new hearts this morning. And would you give holier hearts, more pure hearts to those of us who need more purity. We need more holiness. We need to love holiness and hate unrighteousness and sin. And Lord, I would pray that you would do that this morning. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Worship.